Hello and welcome to this edition of the Golf Channel Podcast with Rex and Lab. Well, at 8.30 a.m. on Sunday morning on April 9th, John Rahm trailed Brooks Kepka by four shots, but at the end of a marathon day, 30 holes at Augusta National, John Rahm is a four-shot winner here at the 87th Masters. Rex, it has been an excruciatingly long day the tail end of an excruciatingly long fortnight for me here in Augusta. What are your thoughts as we sit here Sunday evening? Uh, John Rahm, now a two-time major champion, Masters, and that U.S. Open title from 2021. Well, it moves back to world number one, which seems about appropriate given where we are in the state of the game right now because we all know, look, the top three are going to continue to trade that space. And as we get into the major championship season now, he's won – the masters and but you look at what scotty scheffler did and he led the field ball striking and was last in putting that's not going to continue you would imagine he's going to figure out a way to get back in the game going forward R- rory mcelroy somehow missed the cut I-, I just love the idea that in there is a secondary story here maybe it's the primary story and i'm just glossing over it but i i love the idea that the top three continue to deliver especially at the game's top level. And and I know we're going to sit here and have this conversation about live golf. I know that Brooks Kepka was going to be your column. And I've never seen you so excited about a column. I've never seen you so heartbroken that uh, I've got to change gears. I got to write another column. It, it was a difficult night for you. It was a brutal day for everyone else on the golf course, but I, I actually feel sorry, more sorry for you than I do for anyone else that had to play that golf course. Uh, one of my favorite things to do with these Sunday night recap pods is talking about what we wrote and why. Because I wrote the winner, <laughs> I will start. And you're right. I had been uh, planning, pre-planning, pre-writing, pre-interviewing uh, for a Brooks Kepka coronation. Uh, the reporting that I've done for that story will appear on GolfChannel.com. It'll just be in a Tuesday follow that no one reads <laughs> as opposed to Sunday night at the Masters, which is probably one of our most read stories of the year. But I did write John Rahm. I did change gears. Uh, I, I do find, Rex, and I, I'm curious your thoughts on this. If you find John Rahm difficult to write about, I do personally. He, he has had a very clear and direct ascension in this game. Like He was a highly ranked junior player. He was an all-star college player. He was the number one ranked amateur in the world. He got out on the PJ Tour in, in every full year that he's had as a professional. He's won at least one tournament. Like Obviously, now this is the best golf of his career, now a four-time winner, uh, and it's just April 9th, the second week of April, and he's already a four-time winner, kind of just like Scotty Scheffler uh, a year ago. But there hasn't been a whole lot of wobbling from that trajectory, there hasn't been a whole lot of adversity that he's overcome. He's just he's just a fantastic golfer who seems to just be getting better, and he's getting better incrementally. Like he hasn't made huge leaps from when he first came out on the PGA Tour. You could say, oh, sure, his his on course compartment uh, is better. You know, he handles himself better. Uh, the hashtag perspective is better uh, now that he has uh, a wife. And two kids, but I, I find him difficult to write about just because it, it's very plainly obvious that he's great at golf and he's, if not the best player of his generation, uh, he's, he's bound to go down as one of them. 
He's definitely going to be one of them. He already is one of them, I would argue. And yeah, I, I think I would agree with you. He is hard to write about. And and that's entirely not fair to him because as I listened to his press conference tonight, I was writing another story. I was doing a column on Phil Mickelson, but I didn't want to hear his press conference. And it's not as though he's not engaging. It's not as though he doesn't try. Oh, he's, a, ph- he's a phenomenal interview. Yes, but uh, it seems to it's me just that it's hard he- to put his brilliance into like the proper context, I would say. I, I would say the greatness is such it's a straight line of greatness, I guess is how I would put it. And it's not as though when you look at and, and I guess Phil would be the, a good comp here that if Phil won, he did something exciting. He did something that we would sit and talk about for years. And in, in John Rahm's case, I, I don't know if you would pick one thing out from this round. I mean, I, I know you and I both talked to his caddy, Adam Hayes, after the round, and there was plenty of highlights and plenty of times when you felt like, okay, this was a turning point. But it, it feels like, and of all people, Brooks Kepka, he just wore him down, that he just wouldn't go away, right? Like, he was always there. And every time Brooks didn't do something, John was doing that thing. And you don't want to take anything away from that. Like, that, that's the way you win major championships. That's the way – that's what great players do. In this particular case, though, you're right. It's hard to sit and write about something that he just – you felt like it was almost like work day. He went out and just grinded this out and there was nothing special about it, but he was better than anyone else on this particular day in this particular week. I mean, it was a clinical dissection, particularly on the second nine where he just gave none of the pursuers any sorts, any, any sort of hope that he was going to come back to the field. And so when I try to do these stories on Sunday night of a major championship, I try to either give the reader something that they couldn't see from television or something that they didn't know or hear from kind of the, the supporting cast, right? That's not front and center like a John Rom would be. And so I kind of focused on Dave Phillips, who has worked with John Rom now for more than a decade. And I wanted to focus not just on like the technical proficiency. And, and Dave Phillips told me like that he wants John Rom, as we're talking about this, I want John Rom to play the most boring golf humanly possible. Yeah. Hit the fairway, hit the green. It's basically the Tiger Woods model. That is how he won most, if not all, of his 15 major championships. We look at the power. We look at the clutch, uh, you know, putts. We look at the, you know, the whole chip in like he had in 2005 on the 16th hole. But, like, he mostly won them in, in brutal, boring fashion where he just, like, snuffed the life out of the competition. And then you look at the leaderboard and he wins by four or five, six shots. Like, that is a perfect day to John Rahm. That's a perfect day to his swing coach. Dave Phillips, but I think it, it actually goes deeper than that. And if you look at John Rahm's career record, now six of his 11 victories on the PJ tour have been in come from behind fashion uh, with at least a two shot deficit and including both of his major championships. He was two shots behind heading to the final round here. That was halved Brooks Kepi, Yes. From four to two at the start of the day. Uh, and he was, he was three shots behind when he won at Torrey Pines in 2021 the the reason i thought this was john rom's best quote is that quote i wouldn't be able to live with myself if i didn't try my hardest on every shot i think that, like that's john rom's ethos like that so perfectly describes him as a golfer that's how i think he was able to overcome the four putt on the very first hole of the tournament i think that's how he was able to become uh, to, to kind of overcome playing in that late early wave uh, which was clearly uh, the worst end of the draw with the whipping winds, uh, the bad rain. Like, it's how he turned what was a four-shot deficit at 8.30. Like, it was halved 
within minutes of the restart today, and it kind of set the tone for bullying an absolute alpha in this game who had proven himself four times a major champion. And so uh, Phillips told me, like, the one thing that he's most proud of John Rahm is that he never gives up, like, ever, under any circumstance. Uh, and I think that was proven today, and it, it turned into to what was an absolute clinical dissection of Augusta National, and I think what was a resounding uh, four-shot victory. What did you focus on, Rex, uh, for your Sunday column? Uh, I wrote about Phil, but before I get to that, I, I, I do want to do the, you know, the cliche radio thing here. And, and you bring up Brooks, and I think both of us had the idea that, oh, wow, this is, this is Brooks of old. This is the guy that is going to win major championships and make it look easy and sort of dismiss the idea that they're hard. I'm not quite sure why everyone thinks this is so hard. It's easy for me. And it, it just didn't happen. And I was taken by the idea. Did he lose or did John Rahm win? Like it's again the cliched sports radio thing here, but but which one of those things would you lean into? I mean, Brooks shot seventy five on the final day. John Rahm shot sixty nine. Not like Brooks Kepka lost the tournament. He was four shots ahead with thirty holes to play. Brooks Kepka lost the tournament. That's that's probably fair, and that's not to take anything away from John Rahm. I mean, obviously, it's a it's a it's a combination. You know, it's not like sure Jordan Spieth in twenty sixteen, right, where he's five shots ahead with nine holes to play. Uh, he does what he does on 12 and Danny Willett, you know, has a couple birdies here and there, but like Jordan Spieth lost that tournament. Obviously it was a combination of factors. Brooks's final day collapse. And I would throw in the end of his third round as well. He did end up shooting 73 there uh, and saw his advantage halved uh, from four shots to two. Like uh, Brooks Kepka contributed more to that loss than John Rahm contributed to the win. Does that make sense? Sure. No, I, I get what you're saying. Again, in, in this conversation, someone always walks away thinking they got, you know, slighted on this. And this is not the, the slight John Rahm, as you pointed out. He was brilliant. I mean, he did he did the boring golf. He did everything you need to do to win championships. And I'll go back to Beth Page. When Brooks won that PGA championship, it wasn't pretty. And he almost gave it away, almost spit it up. And you almost had the same feeling today. And as you pointed out, it was 30 holes. So you had a long way to go. You had a lot of things to think about. He had some time in between rounds to sort of ruminate the idea that, oh, God, like I, I'm not playing my best golf. I think at some point today you and I both noticed that he hadn't made a birdie since. I think he went 23 holes yeah. without making a birdie. Like that's, that's unacceptable in, in that lead position. Had he just done anything, <laughs> had, had he just shown yeah. any signs of life, like John Ron probably can't come back at, at that point. Uh, it just it, – it kind of – like Tiger had done, snuffs the life out of the competition. I, I would agree. Like, and look, the, the old Brooks Kepka, I think, probably would have found a way to make a couple birdies and to at least made this close. And and I, I think towards the end, he sort of turned it around and, and at least made it semi-interesting. But it, it, clearly, he's not 100% there yet. It's impressive. And as we talked about last night, and I think we've talked about a couple times this week, when you go back to everything he's gone through, I will give him a nod that he may not be back. This may not be the Brooks of 2019, but it's still pretty impressive. Uh, I worked on Phil Mickelson, and only because I happened to be standing in the scrum area when he finished up, the, the cheers on 18 when he makes the birdie, and I was taken by just the image of as he walked up the hill. That was his 114th time that he's walked up the hill from the 18th green to that clubhouse in his master's career. Three of those times he's walked into a green jacket in the butler cabin. So he's had some really, really special moments coming up that hill. 
but this one seemed to overshadow them all. His manager, Steve Loy, who we both know, he was in tears, like ugly crying, like like just pouring. Like it was it was sad to watch him do this. And I was taken by this because I'm like, man, he didn't do that at Kiowa. I mean, Phil won the PGA Championship at 51 years old, became the oldest major champion ever. And you and I both were there. You didn't see Steve Loy cry. I mean, he, he celebrated. He high fly, He high fived people. He hugged people. He was up part of the celebration. He didn't cry. He talked so to what, the media. So what? So what? What gives? Why? Why the emotion? I think it's obvious. I mean, and look, I, I tried to talk to Steve. I have a pretty good relationship with him. He had a hard time talking to me, even, you know, just generally. Like, I, I don't want to dig too deep here. Clearly, you've, you, you're dealing with some stuff. But I, I'm trying to figure this out. And all he would say is, just look at what's happened. Just look at what's happened over the last year. And over the last year, everything has unraveled for Phil Mickelson. We can go back to last Steve February. Loy's been very busy over the past yeah. year putting out, putting out fires by his longtime client. Putting out fires, negotiating things, trying to renegotiate things. I mean, I'm sure it's been a difficult year for both Phil Mickelson and Steve Loy. But you can, you know, I, I kind of just revisited as quickly as I could because you don't want to go over this too much. But revisit the last year. It was last year in Los Angeles when it seemed like Live Golf was about to launch there. And the comments in Fire Pit Collective come out and he puts himself in self-imposed exile and just take everything from there. And he has become... Ground zero, ground zero in this sort of divide between Liv Goff and the PGA Tour. Even guys that he probably considered friends, Fred Couples, called him a nutbag. And you can go backwards <laughs> from there. Like, I mean, it's just been a bad not, year. That will never not make me. That will never not make me. <laughs> That's laugh. so funny. Just calling someone a nutbag. It's a, Why? a clown. Is, is, is that more offensive than clown? I feel like clown is more offensive. Uh, hmm. It's it's really more popular. Like, I'm not sure I've ever heard the the, the phrase <laughs> nutbag, but I feel like we need to put it in the golf lexicon. Uh, but but you look at everything he's gone through, and, and, and he shows up at Augusta, and he's lost a lot of weight. I mean, a lot of weight. He, he doesn't like look sickly, good. Like he doesn't Like he looks sickly. Yeah, and, and he doesn't say anything. He's in a shell. He goes to the champion's dinner. Uh, according to multiple sources and, and – inside that champions dinner he doesn't talk he sort of sits in the corner it's kind of sad right i mean this place was a place that used to just energize him we we i've written about it a thousand times about him driving down magnolia lane is like the elixir of life and in this particular case it just seems like he's too beaten down like everything of the last year live golf exile the things he said about both the pga tour and the saudis like all of it had just pounded him in to just a, a spot on the gravel and somehow he finds a way on Sunday to do what he does on Sundays. I mean, he does a back nine thing. He, he does a, a second nine thing. He, he does the magic Five and months. he finishes second. And it's uh, absolutely amazing to watch the emotion. You can argue that the PGA championship at Kiowa was the highlight of his career. I argue in this column that this is probably the highlight of his career because of everything well, he's been through over the last year. The highlight of his career. Yes. I mean, you can get caught up in wins and losses, but I'm telling you, the motions that were the on his face. second best player of his generation, like literally one of the best PJ Tour players of all time, 45-time winner, a six-time major champion. This was the highlight. Finishing second, basically had zero chance to win this match. Like, I'll, I'll give, I'll give him credit. Had zero chance to win. I'll give him credit. No like, chance to win. 65 was an unbelievable round of golf. 
on Sunday at Augusta National. But he had zero chance to win. But you think it's the highlight of his career? I can't, I can't wait to read this column. Folks, uh, make sure you check it out at From an emotional point of view, from everything he's gone through. More emotional than 2004 year. when he won the Masters? I mean, After I mean, a look, decade it, of close calls? What? I just don't think you can quantify how uh, – you can't plumb the depths of how low the last 12 months have been. I don't think you can crawl inside that mind because I I think it would be too scary. I think it would be frightening. I think the things that he has dealt with over the last 12 months would just send you running into the night in in panic because of – and I guess the kicker line of the column is this did not absolve him of his sins. Like there are too many people in the game right now that feels like he portrayed the game. And maybe he did, maybe he didn't. I, I'm not getting. It that certainly didn't the sound like he was. It certainly did not sound on the grounds like he was the beloved figure of old. No, and, and I think that's that's part of it. Like, look, I mean, here, Beth Page, you can pick six places where his popularity almost rivaled Tiger. Almost, it didn't, but almost rivaled Tiger's popularity only because of what he meant to this specific place. And you and I both have seen it over the years, like the smile, the cheesy thumbs up, everything about it. When he Phil's, drives down, Phil's beloved Tiger was respected and revered. like revered. Yeah, yeah. But and, Phil and was I, Phil was beloved. And I just think this is is such a a one eighty from where he was. Keep in mind, he has not had a top five finish anywhere in the world since that victory at Kiowa two years ago. Anywhere he's that's lived off, that's he's not done anything in like a year. Not done anything. I mean, this came out of it's one thing to say it came out of the blue. This came out of the far reaches of the black because it just it doesn't make any sense. You could have told me at the beginning of the week that, oh, by the way, Brooks and Phil are going to finish second. And you and I would have sat here and just laughed like that's not going to happen. Like it just doesn't happen. And in this particular case, I was just taken by the idea that, yes, it's a second place finish and this is a Hall of Fame career and he's got a couple green jackets. And there's no way this can rank up among them. But I'm telling you, you and I both were standing there behind the 18th green with Steve Loy when he finished up at Kiowa Island. He wasn't bawling like this. He wasn't ugly crying. I mean, it is a shame that we've gotten to this point, and it almost makes me a little bit sad. Like, Phil Mickelson turns 53 years old in June, right around the U.S. Open. This guy could have had everything, could have been – Beloved by the masses. He could have had the spot in the CBS booth for the next 25 years. I think, I honestly, I think he could have become one of the all-time great sports announcers, not just uh, in golf, but like sports in general, like the Charles Barkley, just a little, probably a little bit more eloquent. He could have been a ceremonial starter on the first tee at the masters. He could have been a Ryder cup captain two or three times. And yet he, he threw it all away to the point where he's looking sickly and he's wearing a tire with, with high flyers logos on it. He's, he's wearing sunglasses in a driving rainstorm on Saturday. Like his, his longevity in this game is remarkable. He has been an incredible golfer for 40 years. Like he was a more prolific junior champion than tiger. He was a three-time NCAA champion. He won as an amateur on the PGA tour. A 45-time winner on the PGA Tour, six-time major champion. Like, this guy should be universally beloved and admired. But. And and yet he's like this 
this pariah who was was forced into hiding and I think who will forever be just in this awkward position where some pros will will find his uh, offenses to be unforgivable. Some fans uh, will, will always root against him now that he's kind of shown his true colors. He's never going to be universally accepted in that champions, uh, the champions dinner anymore Tuesday at Augusta now. It just kind of makes me sad because when you, when you think about it, and I think it's a stark contrast to Tiger who's 47 and was shuffling and could barely get off the golf course before WDing uh, on. Oh, on props to you. Props to you. Props to you, me. you called it. Called yeah. it. But like, I think it stands in a stark contrast. Like Phil's finishing second in the masters. Like against all of these top players and shooting and Rory and JT are missing on the, the final cut. round, and those guys like, are missing the cut. Like it's yeah, unbelievable what this guy is doing, and yet it still just kind of feels slimy, doesn't it? It still feels slimy, and we have no idea how to contextualize it or or look forward to what it means. And no, I, I don't want to do slimy, but it's sad, and, and it's sad uh, for a number of reasons. One. I, I do feel like he sold his soul and I'm not taking sides on this one way or the other, but he clearly took a bag of money to decide that, okay, that I want to do this because I'm not happy. He, ad- he admitted he did like, it's yeah. not, it's, that's not a hot take. Like he, he literally conceded that he did so. So, and, and look, there, there's plenty of guys and I guess Harold Varner would be the primary example. And, and he actually talked really well tonight about, uh, he's come, become close with, with Phil ever since he went to live golf and he was the one person I could kind of find that just would, would own up to the idea that, look, man, he's gone through a lot of stuff the last year. Like, it's hard to, to, to quantify exactly how bad things have gotten. And he also owned it that some of this is of his own making. Some of it's not. But, but some of it's of his, of its own making, of his own making. And to have this opportunity, not to win, you're right. Like, I'm sure, that, I mean, Phil hung around, and, and I think there was probably – you know, he was two shot. He was within two shots with John. I'm heading to the second nine. Uh, yes, but it, it never felt like it was particularly that close. Like when I interviewed him after his round, I didn't feel like I, I was taking up his time, and he needed to go to the range and get ready for a playoff. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's fascinating to me just the idea that this this beloved champion at this place of all places, maybe this place in Beth Page. Or the two where Phil would be, I would say, maybe more popular than Tiger on a given day. That this place is where he would find a way to rekindle that magic. And it wasn't there. He shot a third round 75. I mean, in the cold and driving rain on Saturday, like he, 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 there was no chance that he was ever going to be able to make this kind of run. But put him in the right position. I do think it was an interesting story at the very least. Uh, oldest player to have this uh, high finish at the Masters, I believe, since Jack Nicklaus back in the 1998 Masters when he made the run at, what, 58? Uh, someone will have to fact-check me on that one. But that is a perfect segue, Rex, to the final Masters leaderboard. John Rob wins by four shots, but Finn Mickelson, T2. Patrick Reed, uh, on the strength of a Sunday 68, jumps up to T4 as well. Of the top six players on the leaderboard, three of them, are on live golf. That was the big storyline heading into this Masters, lest we forget. PJ Tour versus Live, the first time they've gotten together in about nine months. What did this Masters tell us about the current landscape and what it's going to look like for the rest of the major season? 
Uh, this will be my Monday follow. Like whenever I get home tomorrow morning, I, I'm, I'm going to write it because it was my initial column before Phil did what he did. I, I, I think it is interesting. So you were that... never planning on writing John Rom? No. Was I supposed to? <laughs> did we have a meeting about this that I missed? It would, like you were shocked when you can't saw have me. a meeting. Can't have a meeting, of course, because you cannot have cell phones. No, like you were shocked when I saw you in the scrum area and you're like, you're writing John Rahm. And I, my, my reaction was like, we're, we're peeling back the curtain a little bit too much. The layers of the onion get a little un- ugly once you get down to the bottom. Little, just a little rotten. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but no, I was never writing John Rahm. I, I think I could have been talked into it. I, I think there were enough things there with, with Jose Maria and Adam Hayes. I, I got to give you credit, Adam Hayes. Like you did it. I'm proud of you. You took it on the chin. You asked him a question. He actually said it was a good question. So I think you guys are good now. Like he's a tremendous caddy. They have a tremendous partnership. Like that's all I could like two-time major champion world number one. Like they make a fantastic team and Adam Hayes is a great caddy. And, and, and what else do we have to say? We have something else to say, don't we? That you were. I'm certainly dead. sorry. <laughs> there it is. I'm certain. I'm certainly sorry. Wrong is it what was... I was going for, but I'll take wrong. I'll wrong, take Sorry. Sorry. Six years ago, I hope we could put it past us. Uh, was that six years ago? Uh, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just tell people. It, Ryan sent out a Ryan laughs sent out a really uh, ill-advised tweet saying, "This is why I don't tweet that, anymore." This is why I don't tweet <laughs> saying that John Rom should have picked up uh, Bones McKay when when Bones left Phil and that he needed a better caddy. And then he was shocked when Adam Hayes, who was working for John Rom at the time, got angry at him. And and I tried to explain to Ryan. Sorry, laugh. That look, man. You you wanted to get him fired. I don't know why you're surprised that he, he he's a little angry at you. Ill advised, un. It was, it was entirely unintentional. Uh, but I see how that would be uh, hurtful and damaging, and uh, I profusely uh, apologize then. And I I'm do so proud and, of you. And I and I and I do now. That's, That's real also growth. why I don't tweet. That's also That's why I don't tweet. I was taken by the idea that John Rom, Brooks Kepka in that last group were, was being boiled down to, oh, live golf versus the PGA Tour. And this was kind of based on a conversation I had with Brooks' swing coach, Claude Harmon III, about it's just golf, man. Like, I, and I'm boiling down the quote and I'm kind of dumbing it down. But they, at least from Brooks' perspective, and I think John's perspective, they weren't looking at it this way. And I think the best example of this was – if you were going to pick two players on each side of that spectrum, Live Golf, PGA Tour, you weren't going to find two that were more indifferent to their sides. John Rahm is a PGA Tour loyalist. He has pledged his allegiance to the PGA Tour. Fealty. Fealty. Yeah, I always mess that up, so I ran away from it. Thank you. <laughs> I, that, that scares me, that word. Uh, but I don't, I don't think that it, it's 100%. Because he'll he'll say that in one breath, fealty, and then in the other breath he'll talk about I'm really going to miss Sergio Garcia in the Ryder Cup, and I really feel like I don't want this to hurt the Ryder Cup. He, he's he's behind the tour, but I don't know that you're going to put him on a poster as someone that's oh, alongside Rory as he's the protector of the PGA Tour. I would say the same thing about Brooks Kepka. Like okay, he signed the contract, he took the bag of money. However, I don't think he's going out. I even if he won tonight. I didn't see him partying with Greg Norman behind the 18th green. That's he's, definitely, he's definitely not a, he's definitely not a show pony. Like I don't think he would have liked no. a group celebration behind the 18th green. Like Brooks Kepka is always going to be about Brooks Kepka 
And the other stuff is like, this is just the tour that he plays on. This is how he gets his reps before major championships. And I just think those two together, it was always going to be inflated to live golf versus the PGA tour. And I don't think that was the case at all. I, I, I would argue that what you have here is probably an example of why the major championships are going to, going to be even more important going forward because the guys on the live tour, if we learn nothing else this week, can still play really, really good golf. That even though they're not getting world ranking points, and I think you and I both sort of said this early in the week, Brooks Kepka is still a top 10 player. Dustin Johnson is still a top 10 player. It's clear that Patrick Reed is still a and top Smith. 10 player. Just because they're not getting world ranking points does not mean that suddenly they're not very, very good players. And this just proved that. So now going forward, you and I both are going to go to the, the PGA Championship next month. And I think we're both going to have to have a conversation about, well, we're going to have to slot them in. Like now when we're picking our favorites, we're going to have to go beyond the top 10 on the FedEx Cup points list. Doesn't it make you wonder, though, about the future? And some of the big names that you mentioned, like they do have major exemptions for the next couple of years. Like Brooks Kepka, his major exemption from the 2019 win runs out at the end of next year. Cam Smith, by virtue of his uh, open championship victory, Last year is exempt to 2027. Uh, Phil obviously can play the, the the Masters forever in various other exemptions. Like a lot of those guys are going to be slotted in. But but what about the the Joaquin Neiman's, the 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 Abe Answers, the um, Mito Kevin Pereira's, the, the 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 Kevin Nas? Did this Gooch. Masters not show you that they're that the major organizations are going to have to think long and hard? about having some sort of exemption criteria for the top three, the top five, the top 10 performers on the live circuit to make sure that they're part of the major championships. If you want to make sure the major championships are the strongest fields in golf and that are separated and they're above the fray of this PJ tour live divide, don't you have to create some sort of Avenue to ensure that the best players on this tour, which we just showed just because on the live tour doesn't mean they can't compete in a major championship, don't you think you have to create some sort of outlet for them? I don't think we're there yet. I would agree with you. You're right. I mean, all you have to do maybe, is look maybe, at the leaderboard. Maybe by the end but of the Open, if it, if it becomes maybe. You know, ab- abundantly clear that these guys are significant factors as they were at the Masters. Yes. I think when you and I are sitting in our sad house in Liverpool and we're having this same conversation on Sunday night, I, I think – Probably will be closer, would be my guess. But right now, no. I think right now, Panavidra tomorrow is not going to be motivated to go to the other people in the ecosystem, in the ecosystem, and <laughs> echo the echo chamber in the ecosystem. I know, and fealty. There's too many names. There's too many words I'm running from into the night right now. Uh, I, I think what what's going to happen is if if we have a repeat of this, and I don't know why we wouldn't, because again, these are all really really good players then eventually, yes, everyone's going to have to sit down. The concern, the issue, the problem here, I guess is the way I would put it, is those other players, other than the ones that you pointed out, you're right, like Phil, Patrick Reed, they all kind of have an avenue in. I I tried to talk to Harold Varner about it tonight, about that's probably his last Masters as we stand right now. Things could change, but as we stand right now, there's no way for him to get back. Could be his last major could be his yes. last major, major for a while. And you could, I could have had this conversation with a couple of guys. Had, had Kevin Na not 
withdrawn. I intended to try to have this conversation with him about it, about, look, are you, are you making the most of this? Are you walking down that first fairway and, and maybe breathing the air a little bit heavier? Because you know that I'm not, I'm never coming back here again, at least not as a competitor. And none of them want to admit it right now for obvious reasons, because it doesn't do them any good. But that is the hurdle going forward. That as we go further down the line, by the time we get to Liverpool and that sad house we're going to be in, that a lot of these players won't be in the field. And we're going to start reaching a point of diminishing returns. Let's touch on two storylines real quick before we wrap up this Masters recap podcast. Roy McIlroy missing the cut rounds of 77 in the second round to miss the I'm cut. I'm sure we addressed that on Friday. Shots. And Tiger Woods bowing out. Uh, on Sunday morning, citing uh, a re-aggravation of his plantar fasciitis. What does this mean for Rory? What does this mean for Tiger as we're now five weeks away from the PJ Championship at Oak Hill in my old neck of the woods? I don't think it means anything for Rory. Like, look, as, as we talked about, and I think you and I were having a conversation with someone underneath the tree that, uh, just this morning that he could show up at the PGA championship and win by five. He's like a member. The game is, yeah. He's a member. At like, Kill. He could show. I mean, the game is that good. He's putting well, he's driving the ball. Well, he doesn't have the mental hurdle at the PGA championship. He doesn't have the mental hurdle at anywhere else except for this place, which I'll he's go got, back to. He's got, he's got mental hurdles in the, in the major championships though. Rex has a one, one in nine years. Uh, maybe, maybe. And sure. I guess that that's some baggage he's going to have to deal with, but not like here, you know it. I mean, we can sit here and have this debate for another 30 minutes, but it's not like here. I mean, here he needed to get off to a good start on Thursday, which is why I was just absolutely flummoxed by the idea that he would agree to do a walk and talk. And look, I love the walk and talks. I'm a huge proponent. Don't get me wrong on this one, but that is, I, I have circled back around and sort of adjusted myself, but arguably the most important ter- round of his arguably. year. There's, now there's a cop out. I'm trying to couch it as much as I can. But you could say that it is the most important round of his year because this is the tournament that matters the most to him, and that's the round that matters the most in this particular tournament because he never gets off to a good start. I've said it. We've already addressed this, that the game was in place. He was driving it well. He was putting it well. Everything was in place. There's no other explanation. This is mental, 100% mental. I'm not quite sure what Bob Rotella told him, but it didn't work flabbergasted absolutely flabbergasted yes it was Flummoxed. shocking that, that phil mickelson tied for second at this masters utterly shocking <laughs> utterly shocking that roy mcelroy missed the cut for the second time in three years how about tiger woods i mean he was getting to the point where he could barely get off the golf course on saturday evening i was actually relieved to see the notice in my email uh, earlier this morning saying that because of injury uh, he had withdrawn. It was the first time that he was withdrawn from the Masters because of injuries. Obviously, he missed four Masters because of injury, but he has never withdrawn mid-tournament uh, before. I, I have a hard time believing, Rex, that we'll see him at the PGA Championship just five weeks away. The weather, having, having grown up in western New York, it could be snowing, it could be 50 and rain, or it could be 90 degrees at Oak Hill. Uh, in fact, you could probably get all those uh, weather conditions in the same week. I really do not think we'll see him at the PJ championship. The only question, you know how much the LACC open would mean to him in his old hometown. That's two months away, but that's a, a, a very hilly golf course and Hoylake, you know, his history there for the open championship. 
uh, he's clearly trying to squeeze out one last major title, one uh, last kind of uh, lightning in a bottle moment. It's it's going to come if it comes at all at an open where he can rely on his golf IQ, his guy. An open championship, you're talking about? Yes, you know, firm, firm, fast. He knows how to play it. Um, typically flat ground. It, do you have a Do you have a hunch? When we'll see him, U.S. Open, Open Championship, because to me, uh, the PGA just doesn't doesn't feel probable at this point. Uh, I fussed you last night for sort of jumping to that conclusion, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and play along on this one. I, I would be pretty surprised, especially after seeing some of the videos that I don't know. Yeah. I, I probably wasn't paying attention enough yesterday to to really watch him play golf and in those conditions. It was brutal. It was cold. It was rainy. It was windy. Like trees were falling down. Like there was nothing good that was happening, and uh, <laughs> I, I just, <laughs> I just think <laughs> that once I saw the videos of him, it's he wasn't limping. He was more shuffling. Shuffling. He literally yeah. could not like take a stride. It was like I'm just dragging my foot. Like it was like a, it was like his foot was asleep. And so I, I, I guess I would just ask why. Like, why, why is he going to put himself through this? Because he wants to finish 54th at the Masters and in, in dead last place of the people who made the cut? I, I don't think that's his DNA. So, And I've, I've made this argument before that the danger with Tiger is not that he's so beat up and injured that he can't play anymore. It's he's not going to stand for mediocre golf. And all along in his mind, I, I think he truly has believed every step of the way, and he's proven pretty much every step of the way, that if I can just get healthy, I can still win. He proved it in 2019. He proved it that, yes, if I can just stay healthy for just a smidge, if I can just do this for, you know, give me a window that I can find a way to win again at, on the highest level. I, I don't know if that's a possibility anymore, and I don't know how long he's going to be willing to, to accept mediocrity. Yeah, I think that's, that's kind of my takeaway from this. Like, I thought it was a huge red flag that he has played four competitive rounds since last July, and he was this beat up. He was this beat up that he couldn't play the Players' Championship one month later. He was this beat up that he couldn't make a scouting trip to Augusta National prior to the Masters. He was this beat up that he could only play 18 holes of practice on site during tournament week. He was this beat up that he had to withdraw midway through the third round uh, with a kind of re-aggravation of his planner, Fasciitis. It certainly feels like we're getting very close to the end, unfortunately. Um, but I guess fingers crossed that we'll see him at least some point during this major season, whether it's at the That's U.S. Open morose. or the Open Championship. We're getting close to the end of his competitive career. Thank not, you. Not, yeah. not, not to the end. I'm going to clean that up for you. Uh, of, <laughs> Just of his, him playing. That's all we're talking about. Of, of his competitive career. Because although, like, so last year, it was great, and it was just, you know, I think there was a lot to admire about his comeback, and the scores didn't really matter. Like, this year, one year removed, like, you kind of have to see what you have left. And if it's going to be, you know, T-54s and, and WDs and, you know, nothing kind of on the outskirts of contention, uh, I'm with you. It's probably going to be very unsatisfying. Anything else before we get off, Rex? Uh, on you know what, I was looking podcast. at the video of us cooking dinner last night, and I realized I can't post this anywhere because you, you, you said some words that you probably shouldn't have said. But it, for all the talk we do about cooking, I really wish I could post this video because we – and again, I'm, I'm sorry if the folks are watching this that we rent the house from because we really, really love this house. But we almost burnt down the rental house. Uh, this is why I don't cook inside. Uh, we, 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 planned, we planned to, to cook some ribeyes 
outside uh, the homeowners uh, who have been great to us over the years here uh, in Augusta. They have both a gas grill and a Kamado Joe, which if you don't know what that is, it's like a it's like a version of a big green egg. It's a Kamado style cooker. Great. Would have loved to use it, but it was pouring. Uh, and so we couldn't could not get the gas grill to work. And so we cooked ribeyes inside. Uh, turns out butter is quite flammable uh, at a certain um, uh, temperature. Uh, we did get it under control. We did grill those, or excuse me, we did sear. We did sear those ribeyes and then cooked them through in the oven. Uh, but it was a little bit of an adventure. It's it's great. It it no longer smells like burnt steak in here. Uh, the smoke is removed. Uh, all of the dishes and the pans have been cleaned. And yes, this is exactly why I have an outdoor kitchen and never ever <laughs> cook outside. Uh, I want to thank you guys for listening to all of our Golf Channel podcasts with Rex and Laugh throughout tournament week. Can't wait to get to the PJ Championship. We'll be doing our mini nightly pods once again. Thank you guys for checking out all the stuff on golfchannel.com. Thanks for all the kind notes about Rex and Mines. Uh, live from appearances this week from the Masters. Make sure to check out all of our recaps, uh, Rex's, Brentley's, and mine, golfchannel.com. For the rest of the week, we'll be pumping out follow content, including that aforementioned Brooks Kepka follow, uh, which did not see the light of day on Sunday, very sadly. But John Rom, congratulations. The I got a live story, dude. Seventh Masters, and Rex has a live story due as well. But thank you guys for listening. We will talk to you next week with a recap from the RBC Heritage, yet another designated event on the PJ Tour. Should be a good one.